Do you want to start a podcast? I know I did, and you're listening to it thanks to the help of Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's totally free and has everything you need in a podcast in one place. You can record, edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and distribute it to listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Everything you need, all in one place, completely free. What's stopping you? Go get Anchor. When life hands you lemons, let's make lemonade. And that is exactly what Juan Belmonte, when life gave him a challenge, he did not just accept that. He took his dream and made the sport he loved adapt to what he did. And he was loved for it. Welcome to the Sports Moments Podcast, where every sports moment deserves its replay. I'm your host, Ethan Reese, your sports historian and giant goofball, which best describes this show, sports history and goofballness thrown in there. This is not a Dateline-only facts podcast. I will joke around, tell the most factually accurate story I can, but have a good time doing it. So now let's sit back and jump into the sports time machine. What is bullfighting and why would anyone ever want to do this? Personally, I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy it still goes on today. I think it's crazy that people back in the day ever wanted to do that. But it was a popular symbol in the Hispanic culture in Spain and Portugal, some parts of France, and Latin America, where customs are always vary, and somehow this became a rite of passion and to show your manhood. There's no real start date. It's kind of like, you know, when did the first sport happen? You don't really know when the first sports actually happened, but, you know, you were fighting for your life, and someone obviously fought a bull for their life. Bullfighting in Spain really started when the Iberian tribes organized the events for humans to confront bulls, because bulls were really thought to be this great, strong, powerful thing, and they were. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And eventually, the Greeks actually adopted the bullfighting as a spectacle. You know, they had proof in some archaeological digs that show depictions of bullfighting, a male and female acrobat confronting a bull, grabbing its horns and as it charges and vaults over its back. Later on, public fights between animals and men were common in ancient Rome. We all know about the Colosseum, and this was kind of taking a aspect of the that Colosseum fight and making it more organized. And many famous noblemen put on bullfights for their weddings and special events in the 12th century. And it was very common. And it's very common in Spain where they have the running of the bulls. And this is part of that, where bulls were very part of their craft. And in the Middle Ages, bulls were simply released into towns and villages where the aristocrats, acting as the matador, in parentheses, would fight the animal from horseback with a long lance. In these medieval battles, there were often individuals who were in charge of finishing off the animal who were called matadors. Killers of bulls is what matador means. In North Spain, this profession became very well paid and esteemed Many experts considered modern bullfighting to start around the 1700s when Francisco Romeo, a significant matador from Ronda, introduced the use of the sword and the famous red cape into bullfighting. After this exploit, many people started to do this on foot instead of on horseback that was previously done. 
1729, the first appearance of three professional bullfighters supported a team that took place. By the end of the 18th century, the demand for bullfighting had increased in popularity among the, amongst the general public, and it led to the loss of the exclusive rights to fight bulls by nobility. So it was now not just a noble act, it was now for every man. And bullfighting started to become respectable, honorable profession at last. Beginning in the 19th century, bullfighting used to be an all-day event. 12 to 14 bulls a day were fought in two sessions, the morning and the evening. Little by little, it, it shrunk down to about six to eight bulls and began, began to be the norm, replacing the all-day event, basically cutting it in half. Bullfighting, bullfighter Francisco Montes, popularly known as Becquero, published Dominga, in 1836, a masterpiece setting rules and regulations for fighting and dimensions of the bull ring. So really starting to get organized. And in 1859, the first bull ring following these rules was built in Valencia. In 1886, the first performance that was considered a, the current day of bullfighting, six bulls, three matadors, took place. And this was the common practice throughout the country of Spain, commonly known today. What is a bullfight and how do you even do it? What's even going on? Because it is more than just what we think about from the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's just playing around with a bull. Like it's nothing. There's a lot to this. It's a three-act approach. And typically, it lasts about 20 minutes per bull so there are multiple bulls in a show so it adds up to be a whole spectacle whole day kind of thing it's an event you're not just going to it to go for a few minutes you're not going for just 20 minutes you're going to be there for a long time like a football game like a basketball game go tailgate all that stuff it is happening around these events so know that it is Definitely three acts. The first act is really just getting the spectators and everyone acclimated to what's going on. You have rings around the rosy, baka baka bozy. No, you have rings everywhere. So it is a circular area, a circular arena, and then there's in that inside the stands. There's a platform on the ground. There's a circular area with another circle of a usually wooden fence about five feet tall. So that people can be protected from the bull that's inside the air area and also see inside for help or know when their moment is coming. So inside of the wooden and in the inner circle is where the action happens the outer circle is where the matadors, toros, everyone that's involved kind of works around in that area. So that's kind of the display, the area that you're working with here. So in act one, you hear the trumpets. They blow with fanfare and they open the large gate at the end of the arena. Two mountain members, two members on horses, ride into the ring and tip their hats to the audience. The official who returns the gesture, therefore, grants permission for this to start by waving a white handkerchief, signaling the acknowledged by the trumpet call. After this trumpet call, the men on the horseback go to the gate and the Music starts playing. Very musical. You can't just watch a bullfight with no music. You need some hardcore music. You need like, And I will always love you. No, no, no. No Whitney Houston at this. No, no. Very Spanish type music. I'm... <laughs> you... Just just know that there's music being played. It's not just a, 
oh, ooh, watch the bull. Listen, it's a lot of music and things. It's a, it's a show. It is a definite show. And they open the progression. And another guy on a horse brings in the matadors and banderos, which are kind of like what we know as bullfighting or bull riding in America, like the circus clowns. The bamberos are more like the circus clowns to protect the rider or the bullfighter and assist if there's any issues and things like that. So they all come in. They're all wearing exactly what you think. The jacket that only comes up to about your ribcage, <laughs> very colorful tassels and everywhere. The pants are very tight. The reason they are very tight is so that a bull can't snag it and you know take you off because you're connected to your pants so very tight pants so ooh la la i'm too sexy for my pants too sexy for my pants too sexy i can't there are a lot of women that like this outfit <laughs> so very colorful lots of bright yellows and and other colors to really show off this is a show remember it is definitely a show and they have a satin cape you know the cape we're used to seeing from the bulls usually colored in red and a beautiful hat hat we're used to seeing is kind of a it kind of looks like a, a small bullhorns over the top of the ear a little bit it doesn't go over your ears but it's just kind of black and stands over there and really signifies who the matador is the Bimberos wear something similar, just not as gaudy and out there at, so that you can really tell who the Matador is and who the Bimbero are. Because you're there to see the Matadors, not the Bimberos. After they enter the ring, the official throws down one of the keys to the gate for the bull. The bull to enter into the arena. At this point... As the bull's about to be coming in, the matador actually kind of hides a little bit, ducks in behind a little wooden area, kind of to hide away, not be seen by the bull just yet. As the bull enters the arena, a attendant jabs into the shoulder a silken rosette with colorful colors of the ranch so you know or where this bull came from, where it was bred. This, when I say jabs, they actually stab it into the shoulder. There will be blood. There will be lots of blood from the bull in this event. Sorry. I know. It's a very bloody event. And, spoiler, the bull dies. So, it's not a very happy event for any bull lovers out there. So the bull rushes out, and he comes from a very dark area, and he's out into the light. It's an open-air arena, so the sun is usually beating down. It's usually right around noon, afternoon, when they do these events. So the, the sun is right above the arena, and it's kind of dazed. Like, if you've ever entered or left a movie theater that you went to see a matinee, and you come out into the sunlight, it's still daytime. That is so jarring because you've been in such a dark place. And even when you come out of the movie theater, it's still kind of dark. They don't have tons of lights. Usually it's blackened carpet or walls are very dark. <laughs> They're not trying to make it a light place. And then you step out of that door and it's like, Ugh! yeah. So that's what the bulls experience. And they go out and they're like, oh, so they're kind of like, kind of adjusting and shaking their head and walking around, un unsure about where they're at. They've also just been stabbed in the shoulder, so that doesn't feel good either. And they have to figure out what's on their shoulder, so they're acting a little, like, what's going on confused. So in this first section, one of the Matadors Banderos will run into the ring and attract the bull's attention with shouts and large capes. And a brave bull will rush at the target. That's what they say. There's a brave bull. And the Barbaros will run towards the fence and jump behind the fence so they don't get hurt. Then another Bandero on the other end of the ring will enter and do the same thing to try to get the bull to come. 
really just enticing the bull, getting the bull running, getting it active to do the show the way they want it to be done. After this, then the matador steps into the ring with the large, colorful cape and then performs the passes that we're used to seeing from cartoons and movies where he holds it out with two hands on one side, wiggling it, shaking it, so the bull runs straight through right past him, giving that excitement and danger factor that we're all used to seeing. And this is modern bullfighting, where it used to be very different. Back in the day, they would stand there to attract the bull with a cape in front of them, and then jump out of the way. And Bel- Juan Belmonte ch- changed this. It was more exciting, viewed as less cowardly. And he changed it because he had to. And we'll go into that later. And each time he passes, the patented Ole is yelled by the stands and chanted in rhythm. After the these passes are done, the trumpet call is signaled and enters in two of the men on horsebacks. One will engage the bull as the other stands to the side. The matador exits behind the little fence. So after they do these more rosettes into the, the bull, then the matador enters in again and has it passed through its cape again. So he does this for three more passes. Or In the next act, a trumpet will call again where the horses and matador will leave the wooden, the center area. And the barberos will paint. So the, horse, the horses come in again and they will try to get the bull to charge at the horse and they're going to be on the, remember there's two rings in the middle of the center of the ring and they'll be on the outside. They're trying to get the bull to chase them and charge at them and they will dodge it with the horse just to get the bull amped up again. And at this point, the matador, after they get three chases from the bull to the horse, the matador will enter and they will ch- he will have the bull do three more passes and then a trumpet will sound for the next act. And this is where they will put of the bull. You'll see them bouncing around, and it's, it's bloody. They get hooked in, basically. The bomberos hook them into his shoulder blades in the back of the neck. This gets the bull to duck his head down in, in a more charge-like position and is easier for the eventual killing of the bull at the end. And it also agitates the bull so he keeps charging. At this point, he's getting tired, exhausted. So they need to agitate the bull to continue to charge throughout the rest of the competition. And then the trumpet sounds again. And the third act will have many passes that just involve the matador. Usually all the banderos and all the horseback riders are not in the arena at all. Most of the time before, there's either the horseback riders and the banderos. To help out if there's anything. But at the third act. It's just the matador. And just the bull. And this is usually what we see. And what we're used to seeing. We're not used to seeing everyone else in the arena. We're used to just seeing the bull. And the matador. So he will do multiple passes. With the bull. Until. The matador. Is either. Gore tossed. You know. That happens when you get hurt. (laughs) So that's what they're there for. Or the matador takes his position below the president's box and takes his sword and requests permission from the official to finish with the show to kill. He throws off his hat and he is now taking his sword He's ready for the bull to charge. This final act is slower due to his weakness state. So they go through all this to weaken the bull, tire the bull out. So he's going to go down to his either lean down or actually lay down and kind of slows down or stops. And then the bullfighter will move towards the bull. 
And this is often the most dangerous time for the bullfighter because at any time the bull can raise his head up and many bullfighters have died because of just getting gored at this moment with the horns of the bull. So they walk up as the bull is calm, either knelt down or standing in a slow motion. They walk up straight up to him. You'll see some even kiss the bull on the head before they achieve this. Or even hang a hat on the bull's horns. Basically, yeah, they're really trying to show how macho they are. The killing of the bull is done with the sword. And typically they thrust the sword in between the bull's shoulder blades at the junction of the neck. And you need to be very precise when you do this. It's almost surgical when they need to do this. And you want it to be because you don't want any more pain and harm to come to this animal. If he doesn't die on that first one, then a second sword is used. Now we're going to take this story back to 1893. Let's get a look at what Spain and the world and what was going on in 1893. The comic opera Falstaff premieres at La Salica in Milan, Italy. And when you think when you think of opera, I know you think of comedy because I know I don't want to fall asleep and just <laughs> love music, but opera is its own thing. Also, of course, you know, King Dick, Richard Seddon Secedes John Balance as the premier of New Zealand, the leader of the Liberty Party. I just threw that in there. <laughs> Funny name. And also, this year, New Zealand granted women the right to vote, becoming the first country to do so. So, big accomplishment, big dick. Big dick. King Dick. Okay, good job, King Dick. Henry Desgrande. Established the world's first bicycle record for the Tour de France. And, of course, this is Gandhi. That Gandhi from India, yes. Is, he does his first act of civil disobedience. His first protest. This year, they also find the world's largest diamond at the time in South Africa. It is a blue-white diamond. 900 and. 95 carats. Just under a thousand carats. First off, don't tell my wife about that. That that's even a possibility. <laughs> and Rudolf Diesel. Remember that Diesel name because he makes the model for the internal combustion engine. A single 10-foot iron cylinder with a flywheel at the base. And it ran its own power for the first time in Augsburg. Germany, and that's where we get the name diesel for diesel gasoline because the Germans were doing diesel, and over here, Henry Ford was starting with his gasoline powered cars that same year. Author Patrice Potter writes the first story of Peter Rabbit for a five year old boy, and for more Spanish centered things. Pope Leo XIII was the Pope at the time. The Spanish country, very big Catholic country. They also have a monarchy. Alfonso XIII was the nobleman at the time. And the Prime Minister was Pardex Mateo Sagasta. <laughs> Sorry, Prime Minister. <laughs> they also this year had a celebration of sorts. A historical American exposition is what they called it. This was to celebrate in Madrid the 400th year of the discovery of America. Remember, Christopher Columbus was chartered by Spain to find not necessarily America, but he found it any other way. This is also the year they had a very large riot at Victoria, 
puts in a new military scheme and reorganization, and it causes riots and military law to go throughout Madrid. And it's a very sad time, and those are the big things that happened around the world in, 19, in 1893 and in Spain. If he fails to kill the bull within the first 10 minutes, then there'll be a trumpet sounded for the next three minutes to kill it, and a third for the next two minutes. If he does not kill it by the end of that third trumpet, then he will leave in disgrace, and they, Benador will come and use a small knife in the back of the bull's head. At this moment, he's been stabbed multiple times. He's pretty much down and ready to go. But the bull needs to be completely dead for a matador to claim his victory. If he does this successfully, especially in the first 10 minutes, he will be cheered and everyone will be very excited. And even if they're at least useful, they sometimes even sell the meat of the bull that passed away at what you watched. So you can experience that. And this is multiple times a day. So you can watch it plenty. And you can watch multiple times. I can understand the excitement. I also understand you're watching an animal be killed. A lot of times we don't see animals killed. Unless you are a butcher or you work at a slaughterhouse. You're not going to see animals killed very often. And it can be very dramatic, I think. Or if you're just in the culture, it's just normal. <laughs> I get it can be just normal for everybody. So that is how the modern bullfighting is done. And now let's go into the man that started modern bullfighting. Juan Belmonte Garcia, better known as Juan Belmonte, was born in Seville, Spain. And his family later moved to Triana neighborhood when he was three, where he grew up. He was a rambunctious child, hung around with the gang of misfits because it's probably much like the Jets and Sharks. Sharks! Jets! That's what I imagine all gangs back in the 1900s were like. <laughs> because those are my kind of gangs. No Bloods and Crips. Let's get some more Jets and Sharks. Let's have more dance fights, less gunfights. That's all we need. On a dare one time, he climbed a wall in order to touch an exposed breast on a statue, which we all know is something kids would do. <laughs> Although he climbed up and he fell down, cracking his head open. And as a normal parent, what they did to punish him was send him to school. What would you he would have never gone to school otherwise if he didn't bust his head open. That's insane to me. So they punished him, sent him to school for four years. So from four to eight, he was in school. In the short time he was there, even though he struggled, he became literate and reading became a big part of his life. Although most of his education came outside of the classroom because he only went to school until he was eight. So, of course, most of your education came from outside. And at that time, you were more taking over family business, the family farm, or being an apprentice for somebody. You were not really going to college as much or had great aspirations for anything else. So he, of course, was working in his father's shop. Although he was shy and insecure, and of course, that kind of... Thing is not good for hagglers and at this time you haggled for everything you didn't have prices marked on the store and that's what you paid you haggled for everything you you sold or you bartered um, they'll trade you this for this he was terrible at this just terrible losing the family money <laughs> left and right and his dad would berate him all the time for this because they needed the money it wasn't like this was where they got money this is where their income was and how they really survived and by being terrible at this one thing which provided them income or at least some assets he was really putting his family in jeopardy he also says that he learned from 
many of his skills from hanging out with his buddies on the street. He learned to smoke because you really need to learn that. It's a good thing to learn, right? Smoking. No, terrible. Learn to drink, of course, play cards, and be with women because what does that mean? Does he mean be in an intimate way or just be around women? Because two very different things, but two things you do need to learn. So hopefully it's the latter and not learning this as a child with the former. One group of Belmonte's friends owned a printing press and they loved the cheap detective novels that they were able to print out and he would read them. And he really enjoyed reading throughout his life and acting out the dramatic stories at the time with this group of friends who some could read, some couldn't. So he was able to gain some confidence from this. Belmonte's fascination with bulls started when he was a toddler when his family was at a restaurant where the farm was connected to the restaurant, Farm Fresh, back in the day, where they had several calves in a pen next to the restaurant. And he wandered off and got in there and tried to get a stubborn one to charge at him with disappointment when the animal didn't respond because he's a little kid and he didn't have the wavy cape that you need to entice a bull because that's what it, all you need is the wavy cape or the red cape to be a matador. As he got a little older, he started to play around with a cape he found and it gave him confidence he naturally lacked. If you watched, if you've seen anything, I mean, you've probably seen maybe a cartoon version or just kind of a stylized movie version, TV version. It's very confident. It's just like dancing. It's like you're you're putting on a show. You really are putting on a show. And I can see why that would give him confidence, just pretending like it, because it, it's a confidence-building thing. Bullfighting soon became a way he avoided working. He was easily tempted by his pals to go out to the country and find bulls to practice with. After a while, he had to go out on moonless nights where they couldn't be seen or caught by the policia. The first time he found himself at the mercy of a bull, Belmonte was sporting a new suit his family had worn or just bought him for Holy Week. Big in Spain. Spain is a very Catholic area and they always buy new suits. Still a tradition today. You buy new suits for the Holy Week. Um, Very special occasion. And there was a lone bull in the ring and Belmonte jumped in with it. Even though he couldn't see where it was, he managed to lead the animal through with two passes, meaning he went through his cape two times. But on the third, the bull hit him, threw him into the air. He tried to find the fence, trying to escape, and the bull hit him again, sending him into the air again. And the third time, the bull hit him Again, sitting and flying, he hit the fence, and he made his way out. Luckily, he was alive still. Remember, this is early 1900s. Medical assistance in the area would have been terrible, and luckily he only had like really bad scapes, scrapes and bruises, but he was able to crawl away from this. Although, ruined his new suit, which I'm sure his dad berated him tirelessly about because it's holy week i just bought you this what in the world there's holes there's scrapes there's blood there's mud what in the world did you do you did everything you could possibly do to ruin the suit everything it looks awful torn tattered everything and yet here we are you have no suit you're going to wear your birthday suit to holy week so Belmonte continued his love for bullfighting, and he got the chance to participate in a pro bullfight as a matador. And he, he was a substitution because they had already printed the posters for this event. And the original matador dropped out, and his name was Senor Poopy Pants. And since Senior Poopy Pants dropped out, 
they needed a last-minute replacement to pretend to be Senior Poopy Pants. And so Belmonte jumped at the chance because he loved the name. He thought Senior Poopy Pants was a great name. And he thought that could be something he continues throughout his career, keeping that name as a stage name. So he rented his costume and paid for his Benadores, a.k.a. Circus Clowns. And after all that, he had no money left for himself. So he was able to participate in this and get experience. That's what it was. He was getting the experience. And so you know, he was not fighting <laughs> under senior booby pants. No, 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 no. He was fighting under the name Montez II. That was the name that was on the poster. And he was taking that name for this fight. So he got the chance at a pro fight. Now, this is where he started to develop his technique. The technique we kind of see today where the the bullfighter just stands there waving the cape for the bull to come through. What they used to do is they used to stand there and kind of taunt the bull with the cape in front of them instead of to the side. Like we know today... And Belmonte created this technique because he had weak legs and couldn't move as fast as most people. And he knew through his times getting beat up on the farms by these bulls that he had to create something different. And that's what he did. He would go to have them come to the side. This was more dangerous, without a doubt. But the spectacle of it was much better so he developed this and it grew because of the excitement of watching the bull just charge straight by the matador instead of having the matador jump away a lot of what bullfighting was as we know is manliness and showing your bravery that you're fighting this beast and so by standing there and not jumping out of the way like was the past, this allowed Belmonte to grow in popularity and to change the sport because people loved that bravery. In July 1910, Belmonte made his first kill. With his sword and his right hands, the Turo sighted the bull. It passed so close that the horns went into the fighter's forehead and ripped his eyebrow. He was with blood blinding his visions. Belmonte acted with a frenzy rage. He pulled the dangling flap. So just imagine seeing this. It's so brutal. The guy is gushing blood. But with this kill, Belmonte could finally call himself a matador. The term for a bullfighter who kills the bull. Because there's, as you recall, not all the bullfighters actually kill the bull. But he is the one that, the one that actually kills the bull is the matador. His star was rising until an affair with a married woman became a total distraction. As goes a lot of stories. Guy has great talent, like can go great places, but a woman comes and melts his heart. And... <laughs> You choose love. It's not a bad thing if the love works out. But if it doesn't, it's just like, what could have been? He was used to casual relationships with, you know, fawning ladies. But the lack of sleep and improper diet left him emotionally and physically unfit to face a bull. Because remember, he was kind of not your prototypical bullfighter and so he needed extra help needed to be at the top of his game to fight and if he wasn't there it wasn't safe for him to fight 
enduring a or a race of the bulls before a demanding crowd of his native Seville got he got two warnings for a bad performance with a bull when he tried to kill the second bull he couldn't make contact and in a fit of exhaustion he screamed at the bull to just kill him belmonte was removed to the ring from the ring in humiliation in humiliation which led to his first retirement this is what makes this work even worse is that if you don't show these killer instincts and the precision of killing a bull, you're humiliated and you're booed and you're jeered and everyone's throwing bottles and just cursing at you and everything because you didn't kill a bull? Like, this is madness that is still going on. And it it looks beautiful up until the end. Like, if you could just let the bull go through the cape a few times and you're just kind of playing with the bull, that's fine. Why do we have to kill the bull still? And it's still to the point where he was just ravaged and ravaged until his retirement. Just imagine if it was today with social media, he would have been canceled or whatever you want just thrown under the bus that he was awful, terrible, no matter what. After this, he worked as a day laborer until he could regain his passion. After this, he got a a new passion. He became a ballet dancer because it was something that he helped rehab his legs. It was, you know, allowing him the opportunity to you know, strengthen and get back into shape. But he just loved it so much. And this is where his career took a took a turn. He became known as Nino Bonito, the pretty boy of dance in Spain. And he would dance around all of Spain doing these great classical ballets. And everyone was so amazed by this transition. And this is not what he did. He became a day laborer after this. You know, he didn't have ballerina skills. That wasn't a thing. So he he would became a day laborer until he could regain the passion. So by 1917, Belmonte's reputation was firmly routed back into success although his career had not gone without injuries. He was gored through the thigh numerous times because of that style he developed, wounded in the chest at least once, and often defied the odds and physical pain, always fighting two or three bulls during every running of the bull, and sometimes fighting every day, leaving little time for recovery. But to Belmonte, bullfighting was a spiritual practice and strengthened the spirit and important strength in him. And it was what drove him. He got invitations to fight in Mexico, Cuba, South America. And whenever he traveled, he brought a trunk of books with him. You know, he didn't ever lose his love for reading. I wish he would have maybe gone (laughs) into something a little less violent. But, hey, let's read the books. Hey! In Lima, Peru, he met a woman at a party and fell in love. Remember he had that affair. That was just an affair. It wasn't him having the... A connection of a long love. He fell in love. And he brought her back to Spain with him. They would get married in Bon... Belmonte never stopped being shy. Even though he was performing in these grand stadiums. He would still be shy. In very personal, intimate moments. 
And so he didn't like ceremonies where it's very intimate. And so they had a very small wedding in Venezuela where he was married by proxy. What that means is he wasn't actually even there. Being married by proxy is like you hear it a lot where a board member of a company sends a proxy to the meeting, someone to act in their stay. This can be done by marriages, and it can even be done now. Like in America, you can get married by proxy if you're in military or some other things like that. The military is what's most common. So he wasn't even there for the wedding. But, hey, they got married. Yay! Wedding! It's wedding time! So in 1919, Belmonte was at his peak. He was in 109 bullfighting events, and he killed 234 bulls, a record that was held until 1965. It's a long time, and that's crazy that even in 1965, people were killing that many bulls. He would earn about $9,000 in a battle for killing about two bulls. If you take that average today, $9,000 back then, equivalent to today, is $145,000. He made that in one day. You average that out for that year where he killed where he participated in 109 events. That's $16 million in one year. That is crazy. That is on par with what athletes, major athletes in America make today. And today, even the most popular bullfighters, they only make 1500 to $3,200. So at the time, it was even more popular and he was making more money than the the bullfighters today. In the following years, he could feel his passion waning. And he took some time off when one of his close friends, Jose Lito, died in the ring. La Capitina. He spent some time down there. But he got bored, of course. Happens. Just look at Tom Brady. He retired for two months and, okay, I'm back. Brett Favre retired so many times and came back. Just common. You can't just get away from the game. It happens so much. So he started fighting again. And during the season, he went on to fight until 1927 when he was forced due to serious injury to retire spending over a month in a hospital because it was dangerous. <laughs> and he's getting up there more in age, and it's just harder to do as you get older. Every sport, harder to do as you get older. Your body just can't keep up with it. And he lived full-time at the ranch, farming, reading, and fighting in charity events were which was less dangerous because it didn't have the he came out of retirement again in 1934 he just can't stop he fights again and he gore he gets gored 14 times stop man just stop fighting you are already a legend You have already set records. Why are you continuing to fight? I know you have the passion for it, but teach. Do something so you're still involved. There's so many ways you could still be involved and not be in danger. In 1935, a bull split his collarbone. Didn't break it. Split it. Even after the bull split his collarbone, he was able to finish the bout. So he was a very strong Iron Man, never finished, like never letting it die. But still, come on, man, stop. You're getting old. You're getting destroyed. Oh, man. 
So back at La Capitina, Belmonte enjoyed a few years of sparring with his own bulls, teaching future bullfighters, and hanging out with local ballers. Teaching future bull riders. Because that's what you do. You teach when you can't. In 1961, his weak health turned into severe heart condition. And following spring, the doctors told him to stop all activities, including riding his beloved horses. He decided he would rather die than do that. And in April 1962, he took one last ride around his property, then locked himself in his study and took his own life. Thank you for listening to the Sports Moments Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's tale. If you did, please give us a review or five stars or wherever you listen to. It helps us grow our community and help tell more engaging stories. You can follow us at Sports Moments Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We post pictures about stories, what happened today in history, different things like that. Just try to be a good sports overall social media company. We still are a new podcast. We're still growing, still working on a few kinks, still working on our website. So if you would like to contact us with a great topic or your view on any episode we've done, you can email us at sportsmomentspodcasts at gmail.com. And as we grow, we're looking for great youth sports charities to donate to because I think it's important to give the youth a chance to learn about sports and bring that love so they can become sports historians as well. So if you have a, a great charity that you are involved in or you think we should help out, please contact us as well. Again, thank you for listening and come back next week for another episode of the Sports Moments Podcast where every sports moment deserves its freedom.